Good evening and welcome to worship. The psalmist writes, His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. Let us sing to the glory and praise of our triune God, our opening hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. We'll hear the introduction and then stand to sing the opening hymn.
Let's all pray together. O Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. You who are God, without beginning and without end. You who are all holy and all powerful. O Lord, you have created everything out of nothing. You sustain all things by the word of your power. And you are our Redeemer and Saviour, God. You have given to us our very lives. And you give to us new life in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you for him. O Lord, without him uh, we would be utterly lost. But we thank you that in him we have salvation. In him we have forgiveness. In him we have eternal life. We thank you that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. By his perfect life, by his sin-bearing death, by his victorious resurrection, he has saved all who trust in him. O Lord, we come to you again this evening with nothing but our sin to bring. We have never had anything but our sin to bring. And we come again with nothing but our sin to bring. No worthiness of our own to offer. But we thank you we may come confident in the worthiness of your Son. Confident in the accomplishments of our Saviour. Confident in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Confident that because he lives, we shall live also. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would forgive our many sins. May we truly be sorry for our sins. And may we desire to walk in your ways. O Lord, may we so love our Saviour that we hate our sin. May we so love our Saviour that we love your law. May we so love our Saviour that we desire to be truly holy. And may we so love our Saviour that we delight to walk in paths of righteousness. O Lord, touch us each one this evening, we pray. Draw us each one nearer to yourself and lead us on with you. We do pray, O Lord, for one another. We thank you that we are able to gather like this in the evening of your day to worship you, to sit at your table and to hear your word. And we pray that you would bless us in all that we do uh, this night, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, that we might be led to Calvary, that we might hear your voice through your word, and that we might be touched by your spirit deep uh, within our souls. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us, each one, as we go into this new week. Uh, well, none of us know what a day shall bring forth, but we rejoice that you know the end from the beginning. And that you have a plan and a purpose for this world and for each of our lives. And so we pray that we might trust you. And that trusting you we would not be afraid. And that trusting you we may be able to face whatever we must face uh, this week. We pray for those, O oh Lord, who would love to be here. But are unable to be so for one reason or another. We pray for those in the fellowship who are sick. For those who are struggling in different ways. For those who care for the sick. For those who are under uh, any particular uh, burden of trial or weight of tribulation. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would draw near to them each one. That you would be to them all that they need. And uh, that you would bless them. 
And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us together as a church. We thank you that you have called us not just to live for you one by one individually as Christians, but that you have put us together in local church families. We thank you for this local church family in order that we might love one another and in order that we might serve you together. And so we pray that you would be with us this week and in all our future days that we might follow hard after you and be helped as we seek to live to your glory. And the blessing we pray for ourselves as a local church family, we pray for every congregation of your people, near and far, throughout these islands, to the ends of the earth. Those, O oh Lord, who meets, meet in uh, congregations of uh, thousands, uh, those, O oh Lord, who meet just in handfuls here and there, those who meet as we do in freedom, without fear of persecution, those who meet in secret and uh, when uh, knowing that they could be uh, imprisoned uh, simply for gathering uh, to worship you. We do remember your persecuted people. We remember missionaries serving you in foreign parts, those who have left home and loved ones and all things familiar in order uh, to go to unreached peoples uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless them, each one, that you would be with them on the good days and that you would be with them on the bad days too, that you would encourage them by your word and by your spirit and that you would make them effective in the ministries uh, to which uh, you have uh, called them. We pray, O oh Lord, for the uh, forward movement of the gospel to the four corners of the globe. We pray for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be lifted high all around the world. We pray for people from all nations and from every tribe to turn in faith to him. We pray, O oh Lord, for our own land and nation. In days of uh, great confusion, in days in many areas of great crisis, um, o oh Lord, we have turned away from you and increasingly we are uh, experiencing the consequences of that. But we pray that in wrath you would remember mercy. We pray that you would not fin have finished with us yet, but that you would yet have gracious uh, designs uh, for our land and nation. That you would yet cause the gospel to run again like rivers uh, through these islands. And that you would uh, transform the face of our nation one heart and one life at a time. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us now. We look up to you. Would you look down upon us in grace, in mercy, in pity and in compassion, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Let me repeat the welcome. It's good to see you uh, this evening. The warmest of welcomes uh, to our evening service. Some notices for the coming week of the Lord willing. I'm due to be on holiday uh, for a week from tomorrow until uh, the following uh, Monday. Uh, tomorrow evening, Ladies Prayer Fellowship, 7.45 for 8 o'clock. And that's uh, a hybrid uh, meeting, so uh, we encourage those who are able to join in person in the church hall, but if you're not able to do that, you're very welcome uh, to join online uh, via Zoom. Coffee morning, Tuesday at 10.30, and uh, Bible study and prayer meeting, uh, Tuesday at 7.45, and Gordon Robbins, our associate pastor, will be preaching on Tuesday night. As it's half term, the schedule is uh, lighter 
than usual, so we uh, move to next Sunday, next Lord's Day, uh, morning service at 10.30, evening service including communion at 6 o'clock. The preacher in the morning will be Alan Wells, one of our elders, and in the evening, uh, Don Morrison, who is an elder at Monny Hull Church in Birmingham. As next week is the end of half term, there'll be uh, no investigators or kids connect extra in the afternoon, but there will be the fortnightly rooted uh, group uh, for the teens next Sunday at 2.30. And then just one advance notice, as Gordon mentioned this morning, the Christian Institute are holding a half-day conference in our church hall uh, on Thursday morning, uh, the 2nd of March. So that's a week on a Thursday, uh, 9.30 until 12.30. The theme is Salt and Light in Education. And we have some flyers on the table at the front and also on the table in the foyer. So if you want to find out more about what that's all about, you can help yourself to one of those. And anybody is welcome to attend. It's a Christian Institute event, not a Welcome Hall event. But anyone from Welcome Hall is is welcome to attend. The one thing you need to know is that booking is essential. So if you're planning to come, do please book. And uh, the back of this flyer will tell you how to uh, go about that. Now as we prepare our hearts together around the Lord's table, we sing together our communion hymn, which is 232, if you're using a book, 232. Awake my soul and rise, amazed and yonder see, how hangs the mighty Saviour God upon a cursed tree. Our communion hymn.
eating and drinking at the Lord's table is a privilege for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, who have been baptized and are walking in fellowship with a gospel church. If that's you, then you're warmly invited to eat and to drink with us. If that's not you just yet, well, we're still delighted that you're here, and we trust that without any embarrassment whatsoever, you'll allow uh, the bread and the wine just to move along the row and to pass you by. Some words from Mark's Gospel. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I'm going to invite our brother Gary Kopstein to come and lead us in giving thanks for the bread, and then later Dan Hickman for the cup. Shall we pray? Our great eternal God, as we approach the table again tonight, it is with hearts of thankfulness for the great plan of redemption, for the willingness to give up your son to the cruel death of the cross, for the willingness of our Lord Jesus Christ to come and lay his life down and to take our place and be that perfect sacrifice, that body you have prepared him in order that he may lay it down in death. But we thank you that as we partake of this bread, we're reminded that he did not remain dead or in the tomb. But on the third day, as it was said, he rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven on high. And even now, as we gather here seated at your right hand, Heavenly Father, and just crying out to you for on our behalf. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us through your Son, for that eternal law, for that application of the, the blood that washes away our sin. And so as this bread is partaken of, Father, receive our thanks offered to you in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Let's give thanks for the cup. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, just as we gave thanks for the bread, now we give thanks for the cup, Lord, uh, for all it represents, for the willing sacrifice that you made on Calvary, for dying on that cross. Lord, taking the punishment that we deserved. Lord, but we have faith and hope that one day we will uh, share in the reward. Lord, we have the hope of heaven. Lord, we pray that as we, uh, in the stillness of these moments, we would examine our hearts, O oh Lord, that we would confess the, the sin that is unconfessed. Lord, that we would seek forgiveness. Lord, that we would remove anything that would prevent us from a closer walk with thee. Lord, we thank you that uh, once we are one of yours, we are one of yours forever. Lord, that you are a faithful God. Lord, that the times we feel um, separated from you, it's not because you are far from us, but we have wondered. Lord, but we're thankful that you are a shepherd that seeks out the lost. Lord, that you will hold us in those everlasting arms. Lord, as we take this cup, Lord, help us to remember um, thy, fi thy uh, faithfulness uh, to us. And Lord, um, be with us as we take it. Bless us, we pray, in thy precious name. Amen. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.
Let's hear God's word. Our Bible reading this evening is to be found in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah and chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work. And it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me, 
and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Amen. And we look to the Lord to add his own gracious blessing to both the reading and the preaching of his own holy word. We sing again, this time 304, if you're using a book, 304, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. The next hymn. Sunday evenings we're working our way through the book of Nehemiah 
finding out more about the uh, rebuilding of the walls of uh, Jerusalem and uh, learning lessons uh, for the great building project in which we are involved as we partner with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in uh, the building of his church. And this evening we come to the chapter that we've just read together a few moments ago, uh, Nehemiah and uh, chapter 6. And uh, perhaps uh, the most significant verse in this chapter is a verse of 15, where we read, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Uh, so the wall was uh, finished. Uh, Nehemiah, the book, isn't finished yet. We're not quite halfway through uh, chapter 6 out of uh, 13 uh, chapters. So there's still uh, more uh, uh, for us uh, to learn from what was going on in uh, Nehemiah's day and generation. But this great building project, the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem there in Israel uh, long ago is uh, completed. And uh, what a work it has uh, been. And we find uh, Nehemiah and his uh, co-workers here uh, finishing the job. So that's the title for our message this evening, uh, Finishing uh, the Job. Because the aim was never simply that they start uh, the work of rebuilding or even that they continue it. But the aim was always uh, that they uh, finish it, that it would come to completion. And uh, so it was with great rejoicing that they finished this work uh, that the Lord had uh, given them to do. And uh, uh, we all desire, don't we, to uh, finish uh, the various tasks that the Lord has given uh, to us, whether that's as individuals in terms of getting through the Christian life and uh, landing safely in glory, or whether it's in terms of our uh, work in the life of a local church or more broadly in the church of Jesus Christ. We desire to see the church of Jesus Christ built. We desire uh, to see uh, the job uh, done and one of the themes that we find all the way through the scriptures is that that work which the Lord begins, he brings to completion. That is true in our individual lives as Christians. He doesn't begin with us only to give up on us halfway through. But as we were reminded in prayer earlier at the Lord's table, when the Lord begins a work, he, he carries it on uh, to uh, completion. And uh, similarly, in terms of the building of Christ's church, we know that individual churches may arise and fall, but the church of Jesus Christ at large is ever being built, and all who belong to it will be found in heaven with Jesus Christ at the last. So this evening, we want to explore this sixth chapter of Nehemiah, in which we are told uh, that uh, the uh, wall was uh, finished. We might expect to find this statement in a chapter of great uh, triumph, whereas really uh, this statement is a, a bit of a light in a dark place. 
Uh, if it wasn't for this verse, then there, there's so much in this chapter that seems to be difficult for, and hard for Nehemiah and uh, for his uh, fellow workers. But despite all of that, the work continued. Despite all of that, the job was finished. Despite all of that, the work was completed. And there's a lesson for us there, isn't there? That often our progress individually as Christians and our progress together as a church happens in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship. Very often not because of, but despite our situation and circumstances. But I think as we explore this chapter together uh, tonight, there are at least three things with which it brings us face to face. And the first is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. How was it uh, that the job was finished? How was it that Nehemiah and his co-workers completed the task of rebuilding the walls. Well, it was a result of the goodness of God. Because we're told in verse 15 uh, that the wall was finished. But then we're told something more in the next verse, verse 16. We read, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. This work was done by our God. And that is true ultimately of all gospel work. The Lord may use us in his service as he used Nehemiah and these others in his service, but ultimately it wasn't Nehemiah's work and it wasn't Nehemiah who got it done. Yes, he was intimately involved with it, but ultimately it was the Lord's work. And it was the Lord working through Nehemiah and his fellow workers that saw to it that the work was done despite a great opposition. Such was the goodness of God that the work was done and that those around who had been so opposed to it and still didn't like the fact that it had been successful. Yet even they had to admit, even they perceived, that this work was done by God. And surely we have seen, haven't we, although we're only six chapters into Nehemiah thus far, we have seen that this book is a, a, a narrative of the goodness of God. We've seen it in each chapter. We saw it in chapter 1. The goodness of God in drawing to Nehemiah's attention the state of the walls of Jerusalem and putting a desire in his heart to do something about it. That was the goodness of God. We saw it in chapter 2 as Nehemiah was able to uh, go from where he was uh, to uh, Jerusalem and to seek to survey the scene and to rally others to help him in uh, this great rebuilding project. 
The fact that he was able to go to Jerusalem and begin to set about things there was a, a, a result of the goodness of God. We saw it in chapter 3 where the rebuilding really gets going and so many people have a heart for the work. So many people have a desire to get involved. So many people willingly join uh, Nehemiah in this great task and they're all around the walls, each rebuilding a part and connecting them all together and that was a result of the goodness of God. And we saw it in chapter 4 when the work had been going some time and when difficulties began to arise and there were external issues because there were enemies around about and they wanted to see the work stopped. And there were internal issues because some of God's people were getting tired and weary and discouraged and disheartened and were, were almost ready to give up. But Nehemiah and his fellow workers were enabled to work on despite these issues. And that was a result of the goodness of God. We saw it in our chapter for last week, chapter 5, where there was a particular issue among God's people. Those who were more wealthy were oppressing uh, those uh, who were poor and lending them money, charging them exorbitant rates of interest and, and other such things. And this had the potential to cause great grief among God's people and to uh, derail this entire rebuilding project. But the Lord gave Nehemiah the grace and the wisdom that he needed to handle those difficulties well so that they were sorted out and the project continued. And that was a result of the goodness of God. Which brings us to our chapter for tonight, a chapter 6. And as we've said already, and as we'll see in more detail in a moment or two, still fierce opposition from uh, the, uh, those around and about. Still those within the camp who are hindering rather than helping the work of rebuilding. But the Lord enables Nehemiah and his co-workers to persevere, to keep going and to finish the job that he had given them to do. And that, I say again, is a demonstration of the goodness of God. So we see the goodness of God all the way through. Because it was God's idea in the first place. And it was God who moved in Nehemiah's heart and in the hearts of others. And who got them going. And who kept them going. And who saw to it that the job was finished. That the work was completed. So that not only God's people. But even the heathen nations around about perceived that this work was done by our God. The goodness of God. And perhaps sometimes it's easier to, to read about something long ago and far away. And, and we can see the goodness of God there. But it's important that we see the goodness of God in our own lives too. Individually as Christians, together as 
a church. If you're a Christian here tonight, how is it that you were ever saved in the first place? The goodness of God. How is it that you have been kept thus far? The goodness of God. How is it that you will be found in heaven at the last? The goodness of God. Our story as believers from start to finish is a narrative of the goodness of God. And the same is true for local churches. How was it that ever uh, this church was begun 80 odd years ago now? This gospel work here in this village of Catsill on the edge of the town of Bromsgrove. The Lord used human instruments, yes, and we thank God for them. But ultimately it was the goodness of God. And how is it that we're still here? I don't think any of us were here 80 odd years ago. But some have been here for much of that time. Others of us have come along more recently. But how is it that we're still here as a church? Through all the ups of the past and times of great blessing and rejoicing. And through all the downs of the past and times of great difficulty and heartache. How is it that we're still here? And the work of the gospel still goes on among these people and in and from this place. Is it not from beginning to end a narrative of the goodness of God? So we cannot read Nehemiah 6 without being brought face to face with the goodness of God. And that should be a tremendous encouragement to us individually and together. God has always been good. God will always be good. God is good. He does good. And we can trust him absolutely. The goodness of God. But there's a second thing that we're brought face to face with in our chapter this evening. And that is the scheming of Satan. The scheming of Satan. Because really all the way through... Uh, the book we've seen already, that running alongside the goodness of God is the scheming of Satan. And if we've seen it in earlier chapters, well, to put it rather colloquially, it seems to be on steroids here in uh, chapter 6. One way after another, Satan is scheming and seeking to distract and to discourage Nehemiah and his fellow workers uh, from uh, uh, finishing the job. There are a number of cameo episodes in this chapter. The first is runs from verse 1 uh, to verse 4. Here they are again, uh, these fellows, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of them, uh, verse 1. And uh, they, uh, they didn't like it when they heard the walls were beginning to be rebuilt and they didn't like it when they heard that they were continuing to be rebuilt and they certainly don't like it now they hear uh, that the work is almost finished and they're still trying to stop it, still trying to stop, prevent the work from being completed. And so they have a plan, verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent to Nehemiah saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So they have this idea. Let's get Nehemiah uh, away from what he's supposed to be doing. Let's get him into this uh, supposedly uh, neutral territory, the plains of Ono. And uh, let's uh, make out that we want to be his, his friends. This is one of Satan's schemes. False friendship, we might call it. 
He wants us to think that those who are against us are really for us. And he wants to distract us from the work we ought to be engaging and get us involved in other things. Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. What do we read? Verse 3, one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? As one preacher once said, Nehemiah said, Oh no to Ono. Oh so Sanballat and Tobiah and these others, they said, let's go to Ono. But Nehemiah said, Oh no to Ono. He wasn't having any of it. He wasn't going to do as they requested. He said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they didn't give up. They were persistent. They sent him this message four times. But he says, verse 4, I answered them every time in the same manner. False friendship. Seeking to distract us from the work which the Lord has given us to do. But they don't stop there. They move from false friendship to a false testimony. If they can't get Nehemiah in their clutches and uh, cease the work by false friendship, then how about a bit of false uh, testimony? So uh, Sanballat sends his servant a fifth time, verse 5, and he's got an open letter in his hand. And we read all about it in verses 6 and 7, uh, suggesting that Nehemiah and the Jews are trying to rebel and that Nehemiah's got it in his heart to be king. And that really this rebuilding of the walls, it's got nothing to do with the glory of God or the good of the Jews. It's really just a vanity project for Nehemiah and to see him uh, made a king among his people. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Nehemiah makes that plain in verses 8 and 9. But this is, this is what they're saying. And the letter's open. We're showing it to you, Nehemiah. And of course, there's lots of other people we can show it to as well. And of course, you don't really want them to see this letter, do you? You don't really want them uh, to read these things. You see, they're trying to turn the screws another example of the scheming of Satan, false testimony. And how often those who are doing a work for God are the recipients of false testimony. Those in the world, sometimes sadly even those in the church among the professing people of God who would spread lies about the Lord's servant. The scheming of Satan. But that doesn't get them anywhere either. Nehemiah, he's clearly feeling the heat. He prays, end of verse 9, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And then they have another go. They pay some fellows uh, to act as prophets. False prophets, of course. And they come, verses 10 to 14, and they uh, tell uh, Nehemiah uh, that, um, well, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple, middle of verse 10. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. These characters making out to be prophets, making out to know what's going to happen, telling Nehemiah, there are people plotting against you. Well, of course, there were people plotting against him, but not in the ways that these fellows were suggesting. 
And you need to get yourself to the temple and lock yourself in the temple. Shut yourself away. Come away from the work that you're doing. For your own safety, shut yourself in the temple. But again, Nehemiah's not having any of that either. He says, verse 11, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. The Lord has given Nehemiah a job to do. He has given to him a work to complete. And Nehemiah is a wonderful example of how in the Lord's service, the longer we go on with the Lord, the more our duty becomes our delight and our delight becomes our duty. It's Nehemiah's delight to do his duty. And he's not going to be dragged away from the task that the Lord has given him to do. Then comes the great statement, verse 15, that the wall was finished. Verse 16, as we've seen, that even the heathen around perceived that this work was done by our God. But chapter 6 doesn't end there. It could have ended there, but it doesn't. It's begun with the scheming of Satan. It's continued with the scheming of Satan. Yes, there's good news in the midst of it all that the wall was finished, but it still ends with the scheming of Satan, verses 17 to 19, where we learn that there were those even within the camp, those who professed a loyalty to Nehemiah and to the people of God, who were actually in league with Sanballat and Tobiah and these other characters, and were seeking to hinder rather than help the work of God in their day. The scheming of Satan. Satan is this great schemer. You remember we read about him in the opening pages of scripture. How he schemed against Adam and Eve. And caused them to sin and to take all of us down with them. You remember how he schemed even in the life and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As he was in the wilderness and he sought to attempt the Lord Jesus and to take him away from the work that his father had given him to do. We see him scheming here uh, in the life and experience of Nehemiah and God's people of his day. And Satan is still the great schemer. We know he is a defeated foe. We know one day he shall be thrown into the lake of fire. But still, for the time being, though he's on a leash, still he schemes. And his great ambition is, first, that we might never be saved. But once we're saved and he can't get us unsaved, then it is to distract us and to stumble us, and to discourage us, and to see to it that we never achieve anything significant for God as Christians or as churches. And so we need to be serious about the existence of Satan, and serious about the fact that he is the schemer that he is. But again, this chapter is not without encouragement. Though it's almost wall to wall, the scheming of Satan, in the midst of it all, despite it all, the wall is finished and God is glorified. And we can take encouragement from that, individually and together, that though Satan's schemes may be many and varied, yet 
God's work in our lives and in this world will be done and he will have all the glory. So we see in this chapter the goodness of God and we see in this chapter the scheming of Satan. But there's a third thing that this chapter brings us face to face with and that is the power of prayer. The power of of prayer. There's a detail in this narrative that we shouldn't miss. Back to verse 15 where we started. So the wall was finished. Notice this. On the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Now the 25th day of Elul might not mean a great deal to us, but we're, we're told that it took 52 days. So from start when the walls were all broken down and there was a huge uh, clear-up job to be done before even the rebuilding could commence, to this point where the wall has been rebuilt all the way around and the gates hung, just 52 days. Just seven and a half weeks. What a great work had been done by Nehemiah and his co-workers, but as we've said, ultimately by God who gave them the vision to do what they did and uh, the ability to accomplish it. 52 days. Got a Bible in front of you. Turn back with me to a couple of verses earlier in the book. First of all, chapter 1 and verse 1, where we began some weeks ago now. Chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. And we know chapter 1, Nehemiah, he hears about Jerusalem. He's moved to tears and he prays. Prays that something might be done. Prays that the Lord might enable him to do something. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass... In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. And in chapter 2, he asks the king if he can go to Jerusalem and if he can have letters to grant him success and begin this work of rebuilding. Now again, just like the month of Elul, in uh, chapter 6 might not mean a lot to you so uh, the uh, month of Kislev and the month of Nisan in chapters 1 and 2 might not mean a great deal to you either but those who know about these things tell us that that was a four month period so there's a four month period between chapter 1 verse 1 when Nehemiah hears and begins to pray and chapter 2 and verse 1 when as a result of Nehemiah's praying day in and day out, he is given opportunity to speak to the king and to begin this great adventure of fulfilling the Lord's call to rebuild the walls. Why am I telling you all this? What's the significance? Or perhaps you've noticed already. The work of rebuilding was done in 52 days. 
But that work was prefaced by prayer. And Nehemiah prayed for four months. So he prayed for more than twice as long as the time it took him and others to do the job. And what does that teach us? It teaches us, as various characters have said down the days of church history in slightly different ways, that it's not so much that we pray for the work as that prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. Now that doesn't mean there's not a work for us to do. Nehemiah still had to go to Jerusalem. And he still had to uh, get others to help him. And they still had to do the heavy lifting of clearing the ground and rebuilding the walls. But there was a sense in which the real work was done, not in those 52 days, but in the four months back where the narrative began. And Nehemiah prayed, and Nehemiah prayed, and Nehemiah prayed. And as a result of Nehemiah's praying, the Lord opened the way for him to go to Jerusalem and with the help of many others to begin and to continue and to finish the job. So we see in this chapter the power of prayer. I guess as Christians we all know that we are required to pray and to act. But perhaps, at least in practice, if not in theory, we believe that the action, that's where the real action is. And we pray about the action. But we're seeing tonight that really, prayer is the work. Prayer is where the action is. Because it's as we pray that we find enabling to be what the Lord would have us to be and to do what the Lord would have us to do. This job could have taken forever. It could never have been completed. But the Lord enabled it to be done in just a few weeks. And humanly speaking... That was an answer to prayer. And so in our day and generation, where particularly in our Western society, the gospel seems to move forward slowly. Compared with our history and compared with some other parts of the world today, there is little impact. We're not without conversions, but they are few in number. Gospel work often seems to be hard work for seemingly small results. And there are no doubt many reasons for that. And we mustn't uh, fall into the trap of being simplistic tonight. But perhaps one is that we have a tendency to focus more on the work than we do upon prayer. If the Lord were pleased to breathe, 
then more could be happened. More could happen. More could be accomplished in a week, a month, or a year than in ten lifetimes. The question is, do we really believe that? The question is, do our prayer lives evidence that we really believe that? Does my prayer life evidence that I really believe that? Are we crying out to the Lord individually? Because that's where it starts. We'll never cry out to the Lord altogether if we're not crying out to the Lord individually. But crying out to the Lord individually. Then are we crying out to the Lord together? Whether when we gather as a whole church, whether when we gather in our small groups, whether when we're just twos and threes here and there, are we crying out to the Lord? Do we really believe that we can give our very best and we can seek to do all the right things in all the right ways and serve the Lord as we humbly believe he would have us But it will all be in vain and it will all be empty and it will all be useless unless he breathes from heaven and unless he does what only he can do. Remember the wall was finished but in such a manner that even the ungodly perceived that this work was done by God. That's what we need friends. That's what we need in each one of our lives. That's what we need in this church. That's what we need in this community. Not a work that is done by man. With the wisdom of man. uh, To the praise of man. But a work that is done by God. That it is clear. Only God could have done it. And then it will be seen to be of his goodness. And it will be seen to be all to his glory. May the wall be finished. In each of our lives may the work go on until we are gathered into the heavenly Jerusalem and we are with Christ which shall be far better. And may the work of this church uh, go on. We would love to be here until Christ returns and we pray that may be soon. But whether that is the Lord's will or not May the work go on. A testimony to the goodness of God. Yes, in the midst of all the scheming of Satan. But a testimony to the power of prayer. As God's people pray and work and pray and work and pray and work. Remembering that ultimately it's not our work but God's. And that he must work. If anything is to be accomplished, and may he do so, and may our names be forgotten, but may the name of Jesus Christ be known and be loved and be cherished, not only for time, but for eternity. Amen. Our closing hymn is 815-815. Awake my soul, stretch every nerve, and press with vigor on, A heavenly race demands your zeal and an immortal crown. The closing hymn.
Now the Saviour who died, who lives and who reigns, grant you joy in labour, peace in troubles, hope in despair and faithfulness in temptation. Amen.